This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. Get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation to find an office near you. We're talking about what not to do when you're facing debt with Blair. So there's probably a list of things. Mm-hmm. It's... Oh, man, it's hard to think of the the most important things to start with when you're facing debt. What are they? Well, you know, the, the first thing is probably just to even realize your limitations sometimes in that moment, because, you know, quite often you've never been in the situation before when you realize you've got more debt than you're able to pay. Maybe the collectors are calling you morning, noon and night. Maybe there's someone threatening court action. Maybe you're feeling really depressed about the whole situation. You may not have all your faculties about you. So what what you really need to be careful of is that you don't do things that you think, you know, maybe it's the right thing to do, but they actually come back and really bite you in the long term. I would think, too, just um, knowing that this is going to happen, that I'm going to start getting phone calls or mm-hmm. I'm going to start getting those letters. That would be so stressful. Oh, yeah. The anxiety can be all in, all consuming, yeah. right? Just, Overwhelming. Just, you know, we're generally all honest people. We know yeah. that we've borrowed money. We know we've spent money. And just to not be able to pay something back when you promised that you would, you know, well, that's a big shock to anybody's ego. And I think that's a key uh, key point, too, is that people don't, necess- don't or I would think, rarely do this on purpose. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. There's, there's different circumstances that lead us down that path. And then once we're down there, that feeling of get, of stuck, what do I do now, would come up. Yeah, you know, maybe there's a few cases of, of abuse, and generally they're, they're caught and they're publicized, but the vast majority of people have just been honest, but subject to some unfortunate events. It could happen to anybody. Yeah, and, let, and let's face it, it's pretty expensive to live mm-hmm. these days. Depending on where you're living, costs are exorbitant. Oh, yeah, and, you know, we, we've seen it in our practice, you know, even since 2010, just the number of folks that are coming in spending more than 50% of their income on rent. More than 50% of their take-home income is just going straight to the landlord before they've started to live. Right. And if you're not renting and if you've got and you overbought Mm -hmm. either a condo or townhouse or a a single detached, um, that's just crazy overwhelming thought. Because you've got your family in there and and now you realize, oh, yikes. And you start to think, well, I can afford the mortgage at 2%, but we're not going to be at 2% forever. So, you know, at, at some point, if you start to, to kind of stress test it yourself, when rates go up, yeah, there you could be over-mortgaged, overbought, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned here paying off family debt first. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? So that's a huge mistake to, to avoid. Okay. So if you owe a bunch of people money, you owe MasterCard, Visa, the tax man, and you owe your, your brother or sister or your parents, the worst thing you can be doing is to give preferential treatment to those members in your family. Now, we all know that that feels right in the situation. Absolutely. You know, borrowed money from my brother, I want to pay him back. And, you yeah. know, Visa or MasterCard, they didn't grow up with me. I don't have the same loyalty. Right. Um, but 
But what happens is that if you eventually need to restructure your debt, you know, either doing a proposal, ideally, or even a personal bankruptcy, any amounts that you've paid to family that would be in a preferential basis, meaning that, you know, if you spread the money around and your family was owed 10% of the amount of the debt, but you gave them 90% of your payments, Got it. that's going to come back to you negatively to the point that essentially those payments, you'd have to make them again to your other creditors. So it doesn't help you in in solving the problem. The better way to do it would be before you start to pay things disproportionately, have a conversation with a professional and figure out, okay, do I have to, you know, require that mom and dad or brother or sister take a little bit of short term pain now, but that's going to be better for everybody in the long term because maybe in the future, you know, I can help them out. So you so you would then advise people to include that family debt, that mm-hmm. money that you owe family members with your whole debt picture. Exactly. And, and keep them in the group. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's interesting. I yeah. hadn't yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, because what that allows your your family to do as well is if you were going to be restructuring the debts using a consumer proposal and every Everybody's going to be getting back 30% of the debt. Sure. Well, if you, you've only got a certain amount of money to pay, and if you don't disclose your family debt, they don't get that share in the 30%. Right. So they're actually better off participating in the consumer proposal because they'll get some payments out of it. They'll get something at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, getting a cosigner, not mm-hmm. a good idea. Almost always a very bad idea. Hmm. Okay. The reason is um, that if you default on the loan, the person who's co-signed the loan, they're not liable for 50% of the debt or two-thirds or whatever, they're liable for 100% of the debt. So the amount of folks that we have come through our doors at Sands & Associates where we go through and we explain all the debts that we can restructure and I can help anybody who's, you know, they've got a debt that's co-signed with somebody else, but the person who is also on that debt, if my client does a proposal or a bankruptcy, um, the bank who is owed the money is going to go directly to the co-signer and start to demand full payment. So all you've usually done there is enlarge the problem. Now it's not only your debt problem, it's yours and your mom and your dad or, or somebody else, or, you know, even if they're not related, just another co-signer. And it's somebody that, you know, they're going to now be on the hook for a debt that wasn't necessarily theirs. Okay. So what if I am a co-signer? What if I have helped somebody out mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they're in a in a, a situation that they need assistance, go to you? What what What's my role then as a co-signer of a of a, a, a a part of that debt? Well, you, you don't have a whole lot of power in, in that situation. Mm-hmm. So what I would say your best bet is to just stay in very close contact with the individual who's you know going through the proposal or the, okay. or the bankruptcy, because during the time that they're restructuring their debts, they can't pay you anything preferentially. So sure. you're on par with everybody else. Now, on a long-term basis, yeah, if they wanted to you know keep you whole on a long-term, they could potentially do that, but there's going to be a period of a couple years where they're, they're not allowed to make any payments to you outside of what you wouldn't be outside of what you would get if they were in a bankruptcy or a proposal. Okay, um, if I've co-signed, if I've co-signed a loan that this mm-hmm. person has gotten from the bank, mm-hmm. and that goes into that yep. that uh, portfolio or file or proposal, yep. how do, what how does that work for me? The bank's going to be sending you a letter saying that so and so has now done a consumer proposal, for example, and we're no longer going to follow up with so and so, but. You now owe this money 100%. Please make arrangements to pay us. Oh, yikes. So that's not the answer I was no, hoping it's, for. It, it's not a good story, right? And, wow. And that's why sometimes, you know, people are flailing about and then the bank says, you know what? Okay, we're going to consolidate all of your debt, but just get someone else to co-sign on that. Right. And what you've just done is 
enlarged your debt problem to include somebody who, you know, hopefully they've, they've thought through what, what they're doing here, but many times people co-sign thinking that it's never going to be called upon. The person's obviously going to pay the debt off. The message here is if you co-sign, be prepared that you are on the hook for 100% of the debt. Okay. Uh, uh, cashing in RRSPs. Mm-hmm. Not a good idea. No, the the worst thing you could, you could possibly do to compromise your potential future retirement. Wow! So the federal government exempts RRSPs in their full amount. You can never be forced to cash in your RRSPs to compromise your retirement unless you choose to do it yourself. Right. So if you're facing a ton of debt and you know you've got more than that amount of debt in RRSPs, you might think you're doing the right thing by saying, okay, I'm going to cash in the RRSPs, I'm going to clear off all the debt, and then I'm going to start to save again. Yeah, I mean, I to be honest, that's kind of what I would think to do. I, mm-hmm. You know, I owe this money. I have this money over here yeah. that I've been saving. It only makes sense to clear my conscience and and pay off these people to mm-hmm. use that money. But yeah. you say no. no. So two really big reasons why. So number one is you're going to take a, a tax hit when you cash in the RRSPs. So the financial institution is going to hold back somewhere between 10 and 30% of those funds because when you contributed them, you got a tax break at that point. Sure. So you're not going to get the full amount out. And oftentimes you end up with a tax bill at the end of the year because whatever the bank withheld wasn't enough because you had other income. So potentially you're going to get less money and owe some taxes, but usually it's not enough money to solve the complete problem. You know, you're just, you know, putting a a drop in the bucket, and then you don't have your retirement there when you actually need it. What I want to encourage people to do is think about RRSPs as a pension, right? You can't touch your pension fund. No one can cash it in for you. No one can take it from you. It's there for you when you need it. If you consider your RRSPs the same way, the government has given you that protection. It's only if you choose to pull it out yourself and pay it to debts do you frustrate that protection for yourself. Okay, so the last, so that would be one of the last things to do then, yeah, or, or not at all. I would say not at all, not at all, because you could literally have hundred thousand dollars in RRSPs, right. have a significant amount of debt, and even if you had to go through a bankruptcy because you're just not earning much money, you will emerge emerge from that bankruptcy with the same hundred thousand dollars of RRSPs. Got it. Cool. Okay. Uh, paying for debt advice. Yeah. So. In general, you never have to pay anybody to figure out your financial options. So when you sit down with a trustee, it's a free initial consultation. We're not here to judge you. We're here to help you figure out the way forward. So when someone comes in and meets with us at Sands & Associates, we spend about an hour for the first meeting. We go through all the debts in a good amount of detail. We understand all of the assets and we give you advice on everything, whether something's at risk or not. Most people end up keeping all of their assets if they even go through a bankruptcy, let alone a consumer proposal. But that entire meeting, all of that analysis is free. It doesn't cost you anything to figure out what you're going to do to solve your debt problem. Okay, then once I put together the proposal or the plan to uh, to pay off my debt, uh, then how does that work? Because I, you have to be paid for your work because this mm-hmm. is significant work, and I wouldn't I wouldn't be in a better position without your help. So right. how do you get paid? Yeah, so a trustee is compensated based on whatever if you file a bankruptcy or a proposal, whatever the government says you're required to pay. So if you were to do a consumer proposal. Proposal, say you had $20,000 of debt and we reduced it down to $6,000 and you were going to pay it off over a five-year term at $100 per month, you would pay your first payment when you file the proposal and you would pay again once the proposal has been accepted, which Got is it. normally about two months later. So to deal with a $20,000 
tax or tax issue, any type of issue, any type of debt issue, right. you'd meet with us a number of times. The only time you'd pay anything is when we filed the legal documents. And the only thing you would pay is whatever your monthly payment is. You pay that once to get us starting to work for you. Cool. And then and then I'm on my way. Then yep. I'm on my way to get my debt cleared. Exactly. You're going to get your debt clear and we're going to give you counseling so that it doesn't happen again. You're going to meet with us two times for counseling, no matter what you do. That's awesome. Thank you, Blair. Mm-hmm. For more information, check the website, sands-trustee.com. To book your free consultation with one of the experts and start living a debt-free life. Sands & Associates, 11 offices on the Lower Mainland, two on Vancouver Island, two in the interior, both in Kamloops and Kelowna. We'll be back with more right after this. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. On the phone with us right now is Nathan Logue. Uh, Nathan's been a licensed funeral director since 2004. He completes three generations providing funeral services to local families at Garden Hill Cremation and Family Services in, uh, rather, funeral services in Maple Ridge. Thanks for joining us, Nathan. Thanks for having me. One of the things that I often think about whenever I get a chance to talk to somebody in the in the funeral business is it's such a difficult time for folks. The first phone call is while it's the beginning of of looking after something very important, it's often at the worst time possible for the poor person who's calling you on the phone. How do you how do you deal with that on a regular basis? You know, that that's a really good question. It it is a challenge, absolutely. You have to remember that you're usually dealing with people at their most difficult time in life. Um, they've lost a loved one. Usually they don't know what to do, unless, of course, they've pre-planned it and things are done in advance, which is becoming more and more regular nowadays. And, yeah, we basically just, uh, we're here to help. We can't express our sympathy too much to them because it's not genuine if you don't know the person. At least that's our opinion. <laughs> And we just basically say we're here to help and what questions you have. And if they don't have anything, we have a list and we'll get together with them and make sure everything is clear to them and go from there. Cool. Hey, thanks, Nathan. Um, Nathan, just wondering from a a dollars and cents point of view, what does an average funeral cost look like these days? What should someone be planning for if they just have no idea in the ballpark of costs? If you you take an average of the scope of everything that we do, the average is roughly about Mm $3,500 in British Columbia. Um, I mean, that varies on so many different things. Um, Burial and cremation are the two modes of disposition. So when somebody passes away in British Columbia, you're either buried in the ground in a casket or you're cremated and uh, your remains are either scattered or buried or kept at home, the flexibility with that. So Mm -hmm. um, cost-wise, minimal end is pretty hard to do it for under $2,000. And then that would be like with cremation with no service. Um, If you're looking to have services with a burial, and cemetery plots can range like seven to $15,000 in the Lower Mainland now. So uh, that can double and triple the cost quite quickly. That's so, the cost just for the plot there, that's the right. seven that's, to 15000 That's wow. just a burial plot, yeah. And there's no funeral services costs right. on top of that. So, yeah, yeah uh, the cremation rate's over 90%. And a big reason why around here is the cost. So, And are there costs associated with, with passing on that some people might not be aware of? 
Yeah, yeah, there's um, things like uh, cemetery plots. Again, some people think that that's included all in the funeral home's costs. They they aren't aware that a lot of funeral homes aren't connected to cemeteries. Um, Some of the bigger corporately owned funeral homes from the States will have private cemeteries on site, but that's generally not the case in most cemeteries in Canada and especially in B.C. Um, Obituary costs, things like that, legal costs... Um, people don't know what a lawyer is going to cost, and they often, the time of a lawyer can be very expensive, or it can be just a quick word of advice, and then they're ready to go. What kind of percentage of people do you deal with, Nathan, who have actually uh, have a have a plan, or or, or their uh, or their loved one has figured out pre-planned this event? It's about ten percent we find, and that number has actually grown quite a bit in the last decade. Um, 15, 20 years ago, it was few and far between that we saw that. People didn't think of those kind of things. People didn't want to think of those kind of things. Um, we've kind of gone out of our way here as a family business in, in town here to, to promote that that's what we do and it makes things easier for everybody. And we can basically grow our business that way. At the same time, people are assured that their wishes are taken care of when the time comes. Yeah, and and the person who has passed has actually had a significant say in what they want. I know one of the most difficult things as a family member is trying to figure out, oh, would mom have liked this or would dad have liked that? What should we do? I don't know. He never cared, you know, and that whole consternation that you can get into. Absolutely. That's for sure. We always tell people when we're talking to them, there's two types of phone calls we get. We get phone calls from somebody that says um, mom or dad has passed away or her husband or wife has passed away. I have no idea what to do. I'm at a complete loss. What do I do? And then the other one we get is mom or dad has passed away. They pre-planned and prepaid with you 10 years ago. Uh, when do we come in and sign the paperwork for cremation or arrange the burial date? So it really makes a difference of the our original arrangement. If we don't have pre-arrangements, is an hour to two hours. If we do have pre-arrangements, it can be five to 20 minutes, depending on how much we talk. So. Now, you're, you're a, a long-time British Columbia operation company, uh, family operation. Is there a significant downside, uh, and I'm sure you know of one, uh, dealing with a, an out-of-province company or an American company that has an operation here in British Columbia? Yeah, the, the, the challenge is dealing with, um, with companies that can't make executive decisions too quickly without going to a board of directors. Mm. Um, Out of province, we generally, uh, I mean, we can deal with anybody, but dealing with another family funeral home, we kind of all have the same feel. And uh, at the end of the day, our name is on the sign and it's our livelihood for our families. So that uh, when we're supporting a wife and children and and a spouse or whoever it may be, uh, there's a little bit more livelihood there for us and we just need to make sure that uh, we're taking care of the families and then as that goes over history it takes care of us so um, dealing with the corporate funeral homes are certainly there's lots of good people in the corporate funeral homes and we deal with them all the time it's just it's a different ownership structure really sure so, I get that yeah. what happens when a, a family comes to you and and there's let's say a, a decent sized estate uh, that they're hoping will cover the costs of a of a funeral uh, and all the pieces thereof what happens when that estate doesn't isn't able to cover it? what kind of what kind of assistance or advice can you give folks um, there's there's a couple different avenues. The first would be uh, the Canada Pension Plan death benefit. So if you paid in income tax while you're working uh, towards the federal government, there is a death benefit of up to $2,500. And that totally depends on how long and how much you've paid into it. 
um, if that isn't there, as some people are self-employed or don't work at any point, if you had a homemaker or stay-at-home mom and never paid into it, uh, there's no benefit for that. Um, if there's no money in the estate at that point and no family member to step forward for the cost, then we can apply to the Ministry of Social Development and Social Innovation, which is a department within the provincial government that will pay for funeral expenses, and they cover the basic necessity costs for a burial or a cremation. One more uh, a point about the money involved. Um, I had no idea there was a such thing as a, a death benefit and didn't find out about it. Uh, until we did talk to the person who was responsible for uh, the service and, and services for a family member. And I was quite surprised, and, and they were very knowledgeable about it. And I would think that that would be a, a good clue for people if, if the person you're dealing with uh, is able to tell you, you know, very uh, accurately about that kind of uh, opportunity that's available to families. That's right, yeah, and it's one of our roles as a funeral director is to determine how that's going to play out through the course of the day. At, at the end of the day, we are in business. Um, if we don't make money or find out where our revenue is going to come from when dealing with that family, then we've kind of got ourselves caught in a pickle. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's something we tried to determine in the original arrangement with somebody, um, kind of how that's going to go. And usually most of the time people will come out and say, I know these can be expensive. How are we going to pay for this? We don't have any money. So that that's usually a tipping point for us to, to go from that point. And just one short question, uh, Nathan, before we wrap up. Is there one thing or two things that people always forget uh, when they come to see you and, and then have to come back or phone you again? Is there a couple of things that we could help them with not to forget this time? Yeah, um, use community resources. One of the newer things in British Columbia are hospices. So they're often connected to a hospital where somebody goes kind of at the end of life. Um, there are hospice societies connected to those. So those are volunteer, basically, uh, therapy people that will help you kind of at the end of life and help families after they've lost a loved one. Um, take advantage of those resources here locally in Maple Ridge. is a wonderful uh, Ridge Meadows Hospice Society. They're terrific people. Um, and they have all kinds of different group sessions to help loved ones at different ages. So if you lose children or a, a spouse or a brother or sister or a best friend, they'll go through all of those. Um, other resources, just when you, when choosing a funeral home, make sure you ask around. It's always important to get the opinion of somebody that's gone through it before, especially if you haven't. And uh, like a lot of things in life, even in the funeral in the funeral profession, you usually get what you pay for. So that's a big thing we're encouraging and trying to educate the public about now is that there's all kinds of different costs and prices available. Make sure you educate yourself as much as you can in advance and also pre-plan. That's, that's a big thing we tell people now. Pre-plan really helps. Thank you so much, Nathan. We've been talking with Nathan Logue uh, from the uh, Garden Hill Cremation and Funeral Services in Maple Ridge. Their website, www.gardenhill.ca. Thank you, Nathan, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands and Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands and Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. 
For information on any of the services we've talked about on the show, go to sands-trustee.com or call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. Talking with Barb Wallach on the phone right now, she has 33 years of experience in the financial industry as a personal personal financial planner. Welcome, Barb. Hi, I'm, well, I'm glad to be there. Glad you're here. Um, one of the things that uh, I know that you're very uh, committed and dedicated to is about financial education and uh, for women, which of course is near and dear to my heart. Uh, how did you? How did you? How did you get there? How did you see that that was a really important niche to uh, to fill? Well, I found that over the years that. Uh, most of my client base would come in, there would be couples, but it would be the husband always doing the talking. And also, you know, if I didn't talk to the women, the women would be upset. So um, I found that there was a huge gap in that area. There's so many areas that women are different than men in that we often will hold ourselves back, maybe because we don't want to look like we don't know anything about financial planning or finances. You know, we live longer. You know, and, and often we don't get remarried again after we lose a spouse and in, I, in our older age. And I think it, it's an age thing, too, because if you started out uh, 30 years ago, uh, women then, because we're probably in a, in, a, in, in a similar age bracket, um, I didn't get any education about financial planning or money stuff in my in my home in the home I grew up in. That was my dad's responsibility, and uh, as in married life, it was like, oh, this thing, what? I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, like we just never got any information about it's it. So true, you know. I was very lucky that my dad showed me how to, you know, open my bank account, how to budget, how to deal with things like that. He was always there for me. But often, a lot of our money issues relate back to growing up Absolutely. and our earliest money memories. And I do a lot of work around helping women in particular gain more confidence by letting go of the limiting decisions they've made somewhere along the way, usually in early childhood, about what money is and what it means. And quite interesting, at, a, at a, um, an event I was at recently trying to talk to women about you know, come, let's talk about financial planning and stuff like that. A majority of them walked by and said, oh, no, no, it's okay. My husband's handled that. And these oh, are women in their 40s yikes. and 30s. And I'm like, what? That's crazy. See, I would have expected that from women in, in my age group or your age group. But for young women to take that, mm-hmm. that position, that is surprising. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things is confidence. You know, we, we, there's a lot of material out there. To teach, people can take the responsibility to read a book, go on any of the websites. The banks have oodles of information. You know, Corey staff, our, our financial group, has a website with all kinds of information. So people can take the responsibility and take action to get the information. But what's stopping them? Yeah. And it's an underlying behavioral issue. And that's really my passion is the behavioral issue is clearing that up. So that they feel more confident around, yeah, I can understand this. It's not just jargon. And I think that's probably maybe one of the biggest things out there, having worked in the banking system for so long, is that we use jargon. Mm. (laughs) We use acronyms, and we don't simplify it when we're speaking with our clients. 
Yeah. And if you don't have the wherewithal to ask, what what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're kind of sunk right off the bat. Or, or, you, or you get fatigued after you've asked about the fifth acronym. You're like, okay, six and seven, we'll just let those go by. Exactly. Right? There's just too many out there. Uh, Barb, I'm wondering if, if you can focus a little bit on what are the two or three areas that you think people are often misinformed about? Um, so whether specific to, to women in, in particular or, or a broader sense, you know, I would say as a trustee, you know, people are pretty misinformed about debt and their options, but you've got a different perspective as, as you know, a financial planner here. What, what do you think is the big areas of misinformation? Um, good question. You know, it's true. You know, debt is, uh, is is big right now in Canada in particular. You know that. It's like $1.67 for every dollar of disposable income. So and it goes up all the time. It goes up all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I think people need, people in general just need to, uh, to rein that in. So as far as other areas of uh, people maybe not understanding things properly or not being told what things are is, the use of a tax-free savings account, hmm. right? A lot of people think that it's just a savings account. Yeah. When it's really, it's, it's very similar to an RRSP, where it's, it's covered, and in there you can place in all kinds of different investments that will give you long-term growth that is sheltered. Yeah, that's a really good point. It took me the longest time to understand the tax-free savings account and all the things that you could put in it and the advantage of having one. I know I've, I spoke to lots of people when they first came out. What? No, I don't need that. I, I've already got a savings account. No, no, no. You don't understand. This is a really important piece to know. This is a good thing. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not too late to ever start saving, even if it's $10 a paycheck, if you're that stretched. Because you just get used to the idea of putting a little bit of money away and you see it grow. It makes you feel a little bit better. You know, most savings plans that are long-term, you've got to do a minimum of $25 sort of a month. But, you know, even if it's in a high-interest savings account, put a little bit away each paycheck. Pay yourself first, always. And it's amazing how different you'll feel. Barbara, I'm wondering if one area you could comment on is sometimes when I see clients come in, I'm amazed at the myriad um, numbers and permutations of insurance that they, they've purchased. You know, sometimes it's balance protection insurance or mortgage insurance oh, or, you know, <laughs> I can hear you have, you know, our life insurance or, or things like that. You know, it it just seems that, you know, you can buy insurance for everything. Is there is that something that you think there's there should be better understanding about what do you actually need and what's a good deal from an insurance point of view? Yeah, and that was actually one of the key points that I'd written down to, to prepare for today oh, is that, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, insurance is really important, life insurance, to, to cover on an unexpected event that could be financially devastating. But there's a big difference between uh, creditor insurance that you can buy at a bank, on say, on your mortgage versus owning your own insurance policy. And that really needs to be understood much, much better also, too, I think people have to have a better understanding around insuring their biggest asset. And I'm not talking about your house. I'm talking about your ability to earn income. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Yeah. Because nowadays we will get cancer, we will have heart attacks, we'll have diabetes, we'll have all these things happen to us, but we survive them. So, you And know, then what? And then what? Yeah. You know, I... our, our income, you know, could we may not be able to go back to work in the same way. We may not want to go back to that type of, of work. We may have not have our job, but then well, where is the income going to be replaced from? You have to ensure that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and especially for someone that, you know, even if you're self-employed out there saying there's no way, well, there are ways, you know, if you work with various financial planners, you can do get disability insurance, even if you're self-employed. So mm-hmm. um, that's hugely important, Barb. And I, I like the phraseology that you're using here too. You know, the TFSA is like a cupboard, you know, okay, I can understand that, that metaphor, you know, ensure your most important asset. Well, that's obviously yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the challenge that I think a lot of my clients have is when we start to use the jargon and the terminology, we make something complicated when the underlying concept is actually pretty simple. That is correct. Right. You know, and um, what was I going to say here is that uh, it and it doesn't have to be expensive. I think people think, oh, you know, it's really expensive to deal with somebody in these issues, or you know, a financial planner or get a plan done. You know, yes, we do get paid, and there's many different ways we get paid, but it doesn't have to be expensive, and sometimes it's often free. In, in a way, mm-hmm. that's a whole other issue. <laughs> now, Barb's with an organization, and I didn't, I didn't add this when we introduced you, uh, Corey Staff Financial Group. And um, one of the cool things that this operation has is uh, something called Cocktails and Cash Financial Seminars for Women. Can you talk about those, Barb? Because that sounds really, really good. Yes, that is a way for us to really give back to the community um, and to provide fun and um, non-threatening ways to educate women. You know, we do a series, we do Taking Control, which is sort of a, a broad overview. We look at cash flow, where is your cash going? You know, uh, Corey's an amazing presenter in that one. We do retirement planning, we do investing 101, and I've got a series coming out all around money mindset and overcoming your, your money blocks. So, and these are free events that happen you know, in the Vancouver area, we have one coming up fairly shortly, which you can find out on our website. Check the website, CoreyStaff.com. It's that's nice correct. and easy. Mm-hmm. And that's Corey with two R's. That's right. Oh, good point. <laughs> yeah, because I first wrote it down with one R. Um, if, if there was one place for somebody to start with uh, that they have really haven't done much about uh financial planning at all other than they bring a a paycheck home once a month or twice a month and put it in the bank where would that be that would be go to go find a financial planner go find somebody that can sit down with you and help you put a plan in place to get organized to set up a system um go to corystaff.com and call us up what are the key things for somebody to to uh, hear when they're talking to somebody before they come in or in their first initial consultation? What are the kinds of things that, that you talk to clients about right off the bat? For me, it's all about where are you right now? You know, what's, what's happening in your life right now that's not working? Where do you want to go? So what's your future goal and plan? What's it going to look like? And then we look at cash flow. The hard numbers. The on hard the paper. numbers. It's the hardest thing to look at, but often if we don't understand where where we're putting our money or where it's going, then we don't have any control over it. Hence, the reason our our uh, workshop is called Taking Control. Cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's how much are we spending at Tim Hortons every month? Right. And and adding those up, that was one of the hardest things I know I ever did was take a look at all my money that I'm that I'm uh, not all my money. Take a look at the money I'm spending on a month. And it is shocking if you've never gone through that experience. That's right. And, and creating creating a plan with goals that are the goals are so empowering that the person 
is really motivated to making that goal happen. So when they do go out to buy the $6 Starbucks coffee, they go, $6 coffee, or I'm going to achieve that dream vacation that I want to plan for. And then they'll think twice, maybe they'll get a, you know, just a plain coffee for $3. Exactly. So it's it's creating different uh, perceptions on how they view money. If you like what you're hearing, her name is Barb Wallach. Uh, nice and easy to get a hold of. The website, Staff with two R's, CoreyStaff.com. Barb has 33 years of experience in the financial industry as a personal financial planner. Thank you so much for joining us today, Barb. Thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed myself. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents, Sands & Associates experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. Thanks for joining us. Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. Get a financial fresh start by calling 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation and to find an office near you. With Blair right now talking about steps to take when you owe taxes. Mm -hmm. And this is for, you want to pay attention to this if you're one of those people and there's tens of thousands of you, you're not alone, that you haven't paid your taxes. Yeah, you get that notice of assessment back. And instead of saying, you know, deposited into your account refund, it says, no, balance due. And by the way, we're charging you interest. So it's not a, not a happy notice of assessment to receive. And in some cases, it might go back a few years. I mean, I yeah. know lots of folks who just, for some reason, at some point, stop paying taxes. And I thought, are you kidding me? You, mm-hmm. you, you know, they have income, they have all that stuff. And yet... Uh, somewhere along the line, they decided, oh, no, I don't need to file my taxes. I'll have to pay a little bit at the end, but yeah. whatever. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, I see that day in and day out. You know, I've, some people, they've went 20 years without, without filing taxes, just off the grid. And you know, obviously, they're not getting government benefits. They're not getting GST checks. You know, there's a bunch of reasons why you'd want to file your taxes every year. But the most important one is it's the law. So you not filing taxes is actually worse than owing the government a ton of money. That's okay. We can deal with that. But if you're a non-filer, that's actually the worst status you could be in Canada Revenue Agency's mind, because it's really, it's your job, part of being in civilization, is you got to file your taxes every year. And it has gotten easier too, Elaine. You know, 20 years ago, you had to do a lot of things by hand and calculators and all that. Most people can do their taxes inside of half an hour with some software. You pick up a Costco, you know, do five returns for $30. You know, it doesn't have to cost you a lot or take you a whole lot of time. Right. Now, a couple of reasons why people wouldn't, and I understand this, if you've got a bunch of different jobs. Yeah. So in terms of how you end up owing the government money, quite usually it's not a surprise, but sometimes it is. And something that could surprise you is if you're working multiple jobs, you know, say you got a second job to make ends meet, um, you know, finances are tight and you think you're doing doing something great, getting some extra income. What can happen is if your second employer isn't told off the top to deduct taxes at a higher rate, you might not be getting enough taxes deducted from your second job, which means at the end of the year, the government is going to want some of those dollars paid to you, paid back to them. Right. And a lot of the times with a second job, you know, you're getting that money and you're spending it on necessities. 
subsidies. You're not saving it. You know, it's extra money. So extra money. Well, yeah, I don't need to. Point, I don't right? need to hang on to this. This is extra money. Right. So when the tax bill comes due, um, you know, you can imagine the bit of the depressed feeling too, saying, "Oh my God, all, all this work. Now I've got to work extra hard to clear the tax bill from last year." One of the things, too, I I ran into a very long time ago, worked for uh, a company that decided all of its employees were going to be contract players, Mm, even though we had a very set time that we had to be in the building to do our job uh, for a certain time uh, every day, Monday to Friday. uh, But they thought, no, we're, we're pretty sure that this is okay. And they said one little proviso that you may want to save some money just in case <laughs> you may want to they come back and say no you can't do this you need to pay this and this and this yeah. uh, and it was a shock to the company of course uh, Canada Revenue came back and said oh no what you people are doing as a company mm-hmm. is wrong but it was the onus was on the employees yeah. to then uh, pony up all the money that we uh, didn't pay out on a on a per check like you do mm-hmm. now in in most in most businesses. Yeah, I see that a lot in the film industry, specific to the Lower Mainland here, where a lot of um, you know not even employees because they're basically independent contractors right. and they may work on the same show for quite some time or you know under the same umbrella a bunch of different shows. But the big difference is the onus goes, and you can see why employers would want to do this. The onus goes from the employer to have to pay taxes on your behalf to Canada Revenue Agency to the bonus goes completely to the employee that you're going to receive a gross amount of wages and your responsibility is to put money aside to pay the tax man at the end of the year or pay them monthly. But it's so much more work and more difficult for you having to do it yourself instead of being someone that gets a paycheck and gets the taxes withheld and everything is compliant from that perspective. Yeah, it's a little easier for sure. Oh, absolutely. But you know, I think you're right. In today's uh, working world, especially in a city like Vancouver, where you've got uh, not just film and television and, and that entertainment industry going on, but you've got the huge tech sector too. Yep. And you can work on small jobs, small projects, uh, or contracts with various companies. And they don't necessarily have to be a Canadian company. They could be mm-hmm. from the States, from California, and all you know different things apply. So really important to pay attention to that. Yeah. If you're not getting deducted taxes, if you're getting an amount that's you no know, gross wages and nothing is taken off of it, take between 25 and 35 percent of it and just put it away. The best case is at the end of the year, you're not going to owe that much in tax, but at least you'll have a really good starting point if you do end up owing tax if you saved some of that gross amount. Yeah. Okay. So good advice. 25 to 35 percent in the bank, in a savings account, do not touch. That's right. For the year. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, what other what other causes do we have for people that end up uh, owing taxes? Oh, yeah. Cashing in your RRSPs. Yeah. Hugely depressing one, right? Because yeah, quite is. often you're cashing in RRSPs as a lump sum to do something with it. And mm-hmm. often that something is to pay some debt. And, you know, usually that's a very bad move. And we'll talk about that on, on another show. But you don't have to cash in RRSPs to pay debt. But the impact is that when you cash in RRSPs, all that money comes into income in the current year. So when you put the money away, you got the tax break back however many years ago and you got a bit of a refund, but now the government is going to count that as your income. And when you pull the money out from the financial institution, they're going to hold back 10 to 30%, but that may not be even close to what your marginal tax rate is, depending on what your income is. Right. So it could be the case that at the end of the year, the RRSP money is gone, but there's a tax liability that could be significant for those RRSP funds when they were pulled out. So you might end up you know, just trading one problem for another 
meaning that you now owe the government instead of the debt that you tried to clear with the RRSPs, but you don't have your RRSPs anymore because they've been cashed in, or at least a significant portion. So the very best advice when it comes to RRSPs, don't touch them? Don't touch them. Consider it the same as a company pension plan. You can't touch a company or a government pension plan. You don't have that option, and that's a good thing because otherwise, you know, you might cash it in your time of need and not have it later. Treat your RRSPs the exact same. Don't cash them in in your time of need. Now, if I'm at the other end of my working life and I'm nearing the end of my working Mm -hmm. time, uh, what do I do with my RRSPs at that point? Yeah, and that's when it's a totally different conversation. Then it's okay. At some point, you want to start drawing these down for the purpose, which is to support your income during retirement. So ideally, you're going to work with an advisor or you're going to figure things out on your own, but you're going to forecast your tax liability. So you'll know exactly what you can pull out, knowing that you'll have enough to make your tax payments at at the end of the year. So it's important to do that calculation. It's also really important to remember that that does become income. Yeah. Like when you start taking that money out, which I I went through with my parents and it was, I just thought, what? We have to pay tax on that money for my dad? It's like, that seemed like a crazy thing. He's already, and of course they calmed me down and said, no, Mm -hmm. that's that's the beauty of this thing is that this money's been saved. Now he gets to use it. But based on the income, whatever that may be, you've got to pay on it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, Let's see, what else? Receiving EI benefits. Yeah, so if you end up uh, receiving EI benefits and you start to work and there's some overlap there, dollar for dollar, the government is going to hold you accountable for any benefits that you received when you were also working. So even if it was, you know, just a two week overlap, that could be a couple thousand dollars, you know, at the the end of the year here. Um, So be very, very careful that your EI benefits are coordinated exactly to when you've either started or, or stopped working. If there's some overlap, some double dipping. Um, the government takes a very harsh view of that. They basically call it fraud, um, essentially, and they're, they're not going to be willing to walk away for, from that debt. So they will collect from you. So just try not to get yourself in that situation. And so, so clearly that means what? When it comes to EI, that EI has to end mm-hmm. on whatever date. You just have to tell them when you start working. That's the biggest thing. This debt arises if you continue to collect EI and you start working and you don't tell them. Okay, so EI ending on the 30th, my job starts on the 1st, I'm you're, in good shape. You're generally okay, yep. You're listening to Blair Manton with Sands & Associates. I'm Elaine Scollin. The show is called Dollars and Cents. Sands & Associates, experts in helping you get out of debt. For more information on any of the services we've talked about, go to the website, sands-trustee.com for more information. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.